The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in today, send me comments at radiohostphillips.com, or tweet me at Healing for Couples. After joyous beginnings, you know, many couples find their dreams of perfect love replaced by frustration, criticism, defensiveness, and emotional distance. The perfect partner has stopped being so perfect, and the relationship is far from happily ever after. Is there a way to change this? In this episode, Arielle Ford, best-selling author, is going to share with us the wisdom of her new book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate. A Practical Guide to Happily Ever After. According to Ariel, it's one thing to fall in love and get married. It's quite another thing to have a marriage you love. And by the way, Ariel wants you to know this information so much that she's offering the first three chapters of her book to any listener who wants to download it at soulmatesecret.com. Ariel is a gifted writer and the author of 10 books, including international bestseller, The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction, and the book we'll be talking about today, Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate. She's a leading personality in the personal growth and contemporary spirituality movement. For the past 25 years, she's been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. She's a relationship expert, a speaker, a blogger for Huffington Post, and the producer and host of Evolving Wisdom's Art of Love series. She's been called the Cupid of Consciousness, the Fairy Godmother of Love. Ariel Ford, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. I'm happy to be here with you. Great. So let's start. Now, what made you write this book, Ariel? Well, I was a first-time bride at the age of 44. And when I got married, I very quickly discovered something very, very frightening. And what it was is that I was very good at being the boss, but I had no partnership skills. I had no idea how to really interact with my husband in powerful ways. 
and it started showing up all over the place. You know, as we started to move out of that honeymoon phase, you know, the phase where your brain is flooded with uh, all those feel-good hormones like dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin and and I wasn't prepared for the fact that that wasn't going to last forever because, like a lot of people, I bought into the myth of happily ever after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey. Suddenly, I was confronted with this real human being and the fact that I didn't have the skills to navigate the days that weren't really fabulous. You know, I was in, you know, I'd gone into it in that uh, state that I like to call the socially acceptable form of insanity, <laughs> of being in love. where you're literally crazy in love, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't prepared for that to end. So over the years, I became a student of love and really studied what does it take to have a long, committed, happy, satisfying marriage. And Mm -hmm. so this book is the compilation of what I learned from all the love and marriage researchers alive on the planet today. So, okay, and, and the book is wonderful. Um, Ariel, so then what is a soulmate? Because in, in this book, you're saying we turn our mate into our soulmate. Most of us have been thinking, you know, uh, you find this perfect person. He can read your mind. You can read his. And everything unfolds, as you say, uh, perfectly. But now we're thinking it's a little bit more complicated. Yes. So my definition of a soulmate is sort of twofold. So on the one hand, it's somebody that you can completely be yourself with, somebody with, you, with whom you share unconditional love, and when you look into their eyes, you feel at home. So a soulmate can be not just a romantic partner, but it can be your kids, your friends, your sisters, mm. brothers, parents, your cats, your dogs would all right. fit into that category, right? That's a nice so, expansion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we all have many soulmates in our lives. And then when you meet somebody and you have that deep connection, oh, we've been together forever, we're meant to be together now, often we just take those feelings as a sign that we're meant to be with them forever. But what I've really learned is that you want somebody with whom you have those soulmate feelings but that also has the capacity to be a good life partner. Mm. And those skills, for the most part, can be learned. So, you know, phase one is, you know, falling in love with somebody. Phase two is like, well, if they don't already have the capacity, do they have the openness and willingness to learn? So one of the things that I discovered is that the makeup of a long-term happy marriage is, yes, there needs to be some chemistry, But as importantly, you need compatibility, you need good communication skills, and perhaps the most important piece of this puzzle is a shared vision for the future. Mm. Now, one of the things that, of course, we bring with us into this is certain expectations, especially, as you say, from the beginning when this seemed like this was the perfect partner. Like, how does someone who actually wanted a bike with him at the beginning, not really want to bike anymore after about one year, or it even could be, as you say, 10 years, all of a sudden, what what seems so wonderful doesn't seem so wonderful anymore. So you talk about perfection being a big stumbling block in really uh, a marriage that goes on happily ever after. 
Right. Well, you know, I think the word perfection needs to be changed to pure fiction. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah, it doesn't exist. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Our mates are not perfect, and they never will be. And yet we strive for perfection in all areas of our lives, which leaves us angry, disappointed, frustrated, upset, pointing fingers, blaming, shaming, thinking that something's wrong. When, in fact, there, most of the time, there is nothing wrong. I, I just want to set one caveat. For everything that I'm going to be talking about today, none of this applies if you're in a relationship that has abuse, addiction, or really bad behavior. Great. Okay? I don't have the fix for that. If you're in an abusive or in a relationship with an addict, you need to get professional help. But for all the other Large and small frustrations of a relationship, I've got some solutions. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So So, perfection, here's one of the ways that I I like to show people how to get past perfection. In Japan, there's an old aesthetic called wabi-sabi. And wabi-sabi seeks to honor all things old and worn and perfect and impermanent. It actually looks to find beauty and perfection with imperfection. I mean, beauty and perfection in imperfection. So mm-hmm. let me just, I'll just tell you a short story that really details this. I have these friends named Jerry and Diane. And Jerry does have an addiction. His is what we call a soft addiction. He is addicted to poppy seed bagels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every single morning, he gets up long before Diane does, goes into the kitchen, and he slices a poppy seed bagel to put it in the toaster. And as he does so, it scatters hundreds of little black seeds all over her white tile floor. And then sometime later, Diane gets up, and every morning is the same. When she goes into the kitchen, she mm. wets a paper towel. She gets on her hands and knees to wipe up the little black poppy seeds. Great. Now, she does this for two reasons. One, Jerry is... 25 years older than her, so he literally can't get on the floor. And two, the the seeds drive her crazy. He basically never sees them. So one morning, she's on the floor wiping up the little black seeds, and she has this thought. And the thought is, I wonder what it will take to never have to do this again, which is followed by the thought, oh, this would mean Jerry's no longer with me. And she Mm -hmm. begins to cry. She gets Mm -hmm. off the floor and she runs into the other room to find Jerry and give him a hug. From that day forward, every morning as she's wiping up the little black seeds, her heart fills with love because these seeds now mean she has another day to spend with Jerry. Mm, We've reframed those seeds, yes. Then that's what we've done. We've Mm -hmm. just changed our story. Did Jerry change? No, it looked like Jerry was the problem, but Jerry didn't change. Her story changed. So she found the beauty and perfection in the imperfection. And Mm -hmm. we can do this on so many levels if we're open and willing because our partners are never going to be perfect. And this really leads me to the truth about marriage that nobody tells you. Now, I'm sure you know who Dr. John Gottman is. But for the listeners who don't, he's one of the world's most highly esteemed marriage researchers. He's at the University of Washington. And what he's discovered is that 
every couple, not just some couples, but every couple has a minimum of nine irreconcilable differences. Okay, these are things that you are never, ever going to agree on. And yet, we're expected to live happily ever after with somebody. So how do we do that? And that's a lot of what we can talk about today. I don't know how much time we have, but... Oh, yeah, we have plenty of time. Well, I think you make such a good point, and it's very frightening, Ariel, when people hit these differences at different places in the marriage, often within the first seven years or so, and because sometimes the differences pop up with different life changes. They emerge when a child is born. They emerge when she launches her career and the kind of things that you spoke about I have heard about with couples over the years I mean the list is perfect like in-laws and extended family involvement if there's a holiday you know there are people who have everybody's got some issues with that communication sex personal habits so I actually think what makes it frightening for folks Ariel is if in fact they come from a background historically where differences equals lost love. Differences equal, if you're different, that means you're not okay. Or if I tell you I don't agree with um, actually that kind of money spending, I don't know if you're going to take that to mean I don't love you. So really, I love that you put it out here because differences don't equate to a problem marriage or a lack of love. So in some ways, I mean, I think these the idea that people come to know they have differences is really important. You're listening to Psych Up Live. We're here today with Arielle Ford. We're talking about her new book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in 
and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here with Ariel Ford. We're discussing her new and interesting book, Turning Your Mate into Your Soulmate. And Ariel and I, we were just talking about one of the things that comes as a surprise to couples, actually anywhere along the line, is that there can be love, a good marriage, and a happily ever after, even though, as she quoted Chapman's work, there are many differences. You And Ariel tells us nine or more, probably. And I was mentioning, we were just talking about one of the differences being um, a couple might have differences about money. Um, and there's often the worry that if I differ from you, you'll think I don't love you. Or if I hear someone say, oh, that's ridiculous. We cannot afford that. We're not saving money. That the other person will feel unloved. Um, now, Ariel, you said that you, you were picking up right at that point when we ended. Yeah, because almost every couple, there's a spender and a saver. Money is the number one most often cited cause of divorce. And that was certainly one of the issues in our marriage early on uh, that I never anticipated. You know, I was brought up in a poor family, and my greatest fear was becoming a bag lady. Mm -hmm. And I ended up marrying a guy who grew up in a wealthy family and then went out of college and made a lot of money and never had any issues around it. And suddenly we're married and we're pulling our money and I'm appalled at the way he's spending what I call our money. And it actually put me into therapy and I discovered that I have what is known as poverty consciousness. And I had to work really hard to understand that I was just programmed to live in this story that there's never enough because every single day I heard my parents fighting about money and I had a grandmother who constantly talked about how she barely survived the Great Depression and was hungry all the time because there was no money. So I had to do something that was very uncomfortable for me, which was be very open and vulnerable with my husband and explain to him where my fears and programming of money came around. And I began to trust him as I got to know him better and see how financially responsible he really was and is. And he became more compassionate to my contraction around money, and eventually we came to agreements, and we no longer needed to police each other on who was spending what, and it's no longer an issue, but it was something we had to really work on. 
Mm. So often the clash um, has to do with our history and our childhoods. And that's one of the things you talk about in the book, which is so important. That is recognizing that you bring to this marriage the expectation that it'll be a magical solution and a new version of the original parents. And somehow that's exactly what puts us in these binds. When you shared the background with your husband, I think that's such an important technique and strategy in making meaning out of why you were getting so upset and it didn't make any sense to him why you were upset about money. Yes, exactly. He had context for it, you know, and yeah. then, which gave him the ability to have compassion and understanding and patience with it, you know, because he was raised by a mother who taught him that you always buy the highest quality of anything, you know, so he was raised buying designer clothes. What I had no understanding of, because I'd never owned anything that wasn't deeply discounted on sale or (laughs) from a hand-me-down shop, right, was that you could buy some an expensive piece of clothing, but because it was so well made, you would use it for 20 years. You know, right. so he taught me about quality, and I finally taught him how to shop sales, which he now enjoys doing. Uh-huh. So that's that's the interesting mix. When people do start to make sense of the backgrounds, sometimes they come up with a third mix of it, which is really very, very valuable for the couple. You know, another one of the things you mentioned in terms of Chapman's work was were the languages of love, which I really think um, it's worth mentioning those because I have so many couples who will talk about we never touched in our family, nobody praised in our family. So maybe you could talk a little bit about them. Yeah, that. so what we're talking about is the book The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, which I think is just beyond brilliant. And it talks about how each of us perceives being loved in a different way. So for some people, receiving a gift makes them feel loved. For other people, uh, being touched makes them feel loved. Or acts of service when you do something special for them or just intimate, connected time together. So if you understand what your own love language is and especially that of your partner, then you can show them love in a way that they're most wanting it and, and able to receive it. Fortunately for Brian and I, what we both took the quiz we have identical um, love languages. We both value touch and time. You know, That's for me, lucky. yeah, <laughs> I'm not interested in gifts. So you could buy me the most extravagant gift in the world, and it's nice, but it doesn't make me feel more loved. But mm-hmm. if you hold my hand and look into my eyes and talk to me, then I feel loved. What's your love language, Suzanne? Um, I'm very affectionate and I use words, Um, but I want to say that um, my husband's style is probably to do things for me. Oh, act Um, of service. Yes, but so one of the interesting things is um, (laughs) I make a bigger celebration about events than He's comfortable with at times. I didn't know this till we were married very we were married very young and it was his birthday and it was his new firm and I thought this would be wonderful to send in a man with balloons and a catered lunch. 
And I was waiting with bated breath to hear how wonderful he found this. But what he said when he came home is, never do that again. And I, I, I couldn't even understand why. And he said, I really am a private person. I don't go for the big celebrations like that. So, Ariel, you do learn along the way that what you think, I mean, I suppose I would have thought someone walking in with balloons and a, a big spread would have worked for my birthday, but clearly we think often what works for us works for the other person, and not always true. In fact, often not true. Yes, yes, and that's the value of it. So. <clears throat> Um, in Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, we really go into more depth about the five love languages and give you a link where you can take the quiz for free and discover yours, or you can just, you know, buy the five love languages book. But it's, it's really important, brilliant information to know, because if you're so busy, you know, dreaming up these big things that can't be received, then everybody loses. I also think people often stay too quiet about this, Ariel. Like she'll say, just what you said, I don't want another bracelet. I just want him to tell me he loves me. I just want to spend time not with lots of other people but alone. But she's not saying that. So birthday after birthday might go by. And if I'm working with the person, I'm saying he cannot know that. So right, which is, is why in, in Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, I actually give you scripts on how right. to get your desires met, how to talk to him, you know. So it could be as simple as, you know, the next time he does something that gives you something that you really wanted, make sure you praise him like crazy, you know. Like, thank you so much. I so appreciate that you just did this for me. This is exactly what I wanted. And, you know, oh, by the way, uh, my birthday's coming up in a few weeks, and what I really, really, really most desire is ABC. Well, and then you leave you, it alone. Well, at what you have said about, and I agree, people don't mind read, and men in particular love being successful. You spoke about that. Yeah, they want to so, win. Well, so if you're not telling them the key to the game, you do them a disservice, you do you a disservice. I mean, one thing that you do mention in this, which is very, very funny, is, is really coming to grips with the male-female differences. Yeah, because we talk to men as if they're our girlfriends. <laughs> we don't understand that men's brains are wired totally different from women's brains. And, and, you know, we just mentioned how important it is for a man to win. He really wants to be your hero. And he can't be happy unless you're happy. So you need to tell him what it is you need to be happy in a way that he can hear you. So you could say, oh, yes, for the last 16 years, I've been telling him exactly what I want. And if you haven't been getting it, it's because, A, you're probably not saying it in the sweetest tone of voice. B, you're giving him too much information at once. You need to only give them one request at a time or one question at a time, because they don't process things the way we do. And there's a way to set it up so that he can actually hear it as a win. So, for instance, one of, my, one of the things I often hear from women that they complain about the most is that they have to nag and bitch and moan and complain to their husband to take the trash out. And it's an ongoing problem for them. Great. So 
what I always tell them is the next time, even if you have to nudge him to take the trash out, the next time he walks back in the door from taking out the trash, walk up to him, put your arms around him, whisper in his ear, thank you so much for taking out the trash. You are my hero. (laughs) Because you took the trash out, I get to feel like a queen, and I don't have to touch that stinky, smelly trash that grosses me out so much. I am so grateful to you for doing this. And then walk away, and chances are you'll never have to ask him again. Why? Because you just acknowledged him, respected him, and explained to him the reason why you don't want to touch the trash. I think the taking for granted continues to get people to hit the wall with not being not finding that the partner is listening or really in some way fulfill, fulfilling something that would help them. I mean, I also think and we can turn we'll talk about the women's side. The other thing that we do as women is we do many many things at once as you said. That's that's not men's style. They do things very very well and are very, very successful often, but their style is different. So in one case, she wanted to have the gym night be Tuesday night. There were two little twins and two other little children. So that means there were a lot of little people for him to deal with. And she'd come back, and the first time she came back, he was sitting on the, laying on the floor in front of the TV. Some sports game was on. The kids were having a ball. They were using him as the trampoline. But she looked around, the kitchen was dirty, the place was a little bit of a mess, and she blew up. But when you really think about it, and what she came to see is, I need my gym night, this is the best he could do, the kids are happy, what am I thinking about? So in some way, being realistic, whether you're the male or the female in the couple, also plays a part in letting the other feel success. Always, and and one of the best practices that I've discovered is to give your mate five appreciations every day. We are all trained, especially women, to look for what's wrong, to fix what's broken. We're heat-seeking missiles for what's wrong. And really what the science is now showing, there was a study done at at the University of Buffalo on couples who consciously choose to wear rose-colored glasses, have the longest, happiest, most successful marriages, Mm -hmm. The reason is they're always looking for what's right instead of looking for what's wrong. So as you're observing your mate all day long, keep looking for what's right. And then somewhere along the line, acknowledge them and share your appreciation and your love for them. And for the women out there who are thinking to themselves right now, well, why do I have to do all the work? Here's why. In this moment, you're the saner woman, you're the saner person in the relationship. And you really want to do have a happy long-term relationship. And just sharing a little appreciation isn't that hard to do. And once you start doing it, they will automatically begin to do it as well. You don't and even I've have a- to ask. Yeah. I've actually seen that happen on both sides. It's such a good point, Ariel. That is, model what you want. Because often a man is saying to me, I never get a compliment. And I'll say to him, how many compliments does she get from you? And if they're not too many, then we have it on both sides. Or if he comes home and scans the living room and doesn't realize a lot has happened, 
and he just points out the toys are around, that's not a great thing for her either. So I think the verbalizing of the affirmations, Ariel, you're so right. That's the piece that in the busyness of every day, both sides really don't do enough. And that really does turn someone into a soulmate because they feel so appreciated. And that's what we all want. We all want to be seen and heard, acknowledged and appreciated, and that, you know, that somebody's actually witnessing our lives. Yep. I think that you had one technique here that I just want you to talk a little bit about. It's called the turn toward bid. Yes, yes. This is actually also a part uh, of the work that John Gottman uh, has done, where they have a marriage lab and they actually observe couples. And one of the things that they've observed is that the couples who, when they're speaking to each other, actually turn and face each other and give each other full attention, or what he calls a bid, the more they do that, the better their marriage is. And he can tell just by observing couples whether or not they use this behavior he can predict the divorce rate and how long they'll be together based on their ability to bid or not bid each other. So when your partner's speaking to you, you know, unless you're putting out a fire or saving your kid (laughs) or your dog from doing something drastic, you know, put down your phone, stop what you're doing, turn your body towards them, and truly listen to them. You know, and and this has been the hardest thing for me to do. Because I'm an oldest child, and I'm used to having all the attention I want and listening to the thoughts in my head as opposed to what anybody else is saying. I'm a terrible listener. Mm. And I married a youngest child whose deepest wound and most greatest need is to be seen and heard and listened to. <laughs> and we, You know, yeah, it was, it was always an issue until one day I finally realized, you know what? If I don't learn to listen to him, he's going to find someone who will. Mm. And I realized I had to completely change my behavior. And even now what I'll do, I mean, it's still, there's a lot of times, and my, my husband's a yacker, he likes to talk, where, you know, my, instinctually I don't want to do it, but unless I'm really busy, in which case I'll say, you know what, give me five minutes to complete what I'm doing and then I'll come sit down and listen. I've learned Absolutely. what's more important. We all say that our relationships are the most important things in our lives, but our behavior often doesn't prove this to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a daily struggle I have because I'm always caught up in my head. You know, what am I doing? What's my next creative project? I'm yes. going, going, going. You know? Well, most, most people are really, as you say, and I, I really push the eye-to-eye contact because we are so busy cutting vegetables, packing cars, that there really isn't that just connection that could be made visually that could really keep affirming the connection. I also think it happens, if, I don't know if you've felt this, when couples are with other couples, some people often talk about feeling they are lost in the shuffle. And so this turning toward bid, when I read what you had written about it, the looking to reach a hand, reaching, looking at the other, reaching for the other's hand, just gently, you know, rubbing someone's shoulder. People love being affirmed, I think, in the company of other people because they really feel them. Their partner is publicly saying, 
this guy belongs to me, or this is my wife. And I think I'm always reminding couples not to lose each other in the shuffle of, of a big meeting, a family gathering. Have you found that? Oh, it's it's really important, you know, and so you, you've just got to be present to it. You know, like sometimes we'll be at a party and, you know, we'll go off in different directions, and at some point I'll think, oh, let me just go check in with right. Brian. What's he mm-hmm. doing? How's he doing? Mm-hmm. Do I need to rescue him from you know, right. somebody who's got him pinned to a corner? You know, because right. he doesn't like small talk. He likes deep, big talk, you know. So uh, sometimes he gets caught up with people that I know are just boring him to tears. And I'm just like, oh, honey, sorry to interrupt, but I need you for a second. And I'll pull uh-huh. him out of there. And he's always so grateful. You know, one of the things that you also um, you you quoted from Gottman, and I think it's such a powerful statement, is you talk about, maybe we could talk a little bit about this, that the first three minutes in a couple's dialogue really sets the stage for whether that's going to be a successful dialogue or a difficult one. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yes, that, that's what the research has found. So if you need to have a difficult conversation with somebody, uh, what I recommend is that you first get yourself to neutral. You know, you don't want to be in a screaming match. You don't want to be threatening, saying, hey, we have to talk, you know, because that's, that's a setup to lose right from those couple of words. So you need to first get yourself to neutral. You know, take a little time out for yourself. And, you know, um, like one example of this, it might be, it's let's say you go to a party with your spouse and you're talking to Jane and Bob, and your husband says something to Jane and Bob that is either embarrassing or humiliating to you, and you're smart enough not to say anything right in that moment. And you're seething on the way home, but it's late at night. I actually recommend that sometimes it's good to go to bed angry. Yes. And you're tired. (laughs) You can't have a reasonable conversation. And then the next morning when you wake up, you might say to your spouse, Um, do you have 10 minutes to talk to me sometime today? I have a problem that I need your help with. And that's all you say. And if he says, what is it? Just say, no, no, it's not that big a deal. Let's just do it when you have 10 convenient minutes. So when you get to those 10 minutes, you know, you start by saying, here's what my issue is. I know that you love me. I know that you would never intentionally say or do anything to hurt me. And last night at the party, when you said X, Y, Z to Bob and Jane, I felt A, B, C. And then you're in this safe place where he can most likely say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I never, ever meant for that to happen or whatever it is. But it's in that kind of loving, safe space that you can have a real dialogue. Does that make sense? it not only makes sense, but let's add the other piece, because there are some men who will say, did I say that? I don't remember saying that, and that is possible, at which point I say to women, it's okay, do not start harassing about how he couldn't remember, he really did remember, it's on the record, he may think about it, you're on the record. We're going to have to take a break, but let's come back and talk a little bit more. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with... Arielle Ford, she's a wonderful writer of many books about couples. This book, her new book, is Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate, A Practical Guide to Happily Ever After. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're, we're in the midst of some really interesting comments about how you turn your mate back into your soulmate. Uh, we're here with Ariel Ford. And before we even go further, um, Ariel has graciously offered any of our listeners, this is a, a wonderful book, to, to download the first three chapters of this book on just go to soulmatesecret.com. Thanks so much for that, Ariel. Oh, you're so, welcome. Okay, so let's talk about something that's really, really a valuable piece, and that is... You talk about going from annoyed to enjoyed in a marriage. Now, what do you mean when you say that? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it through a story. It's another wabi-sabi love story and how to practice it. So I was teaching a workshop one day explaining all of this, and this woman stands up and says to me, well, I have a problem even you can't solve. And I said, great, tell me what it is. She said, my name is Stephanie, and I've been married to Garth for 16 years. I am a neat freak. I'm a perfectionist. I like my house clean and spotless and orderly, and everything's in its place, and that's what makes me happy. And Garth is a total messy slob, and no matter how much I constantly remind him to pick up things and where things belong, nothing ever changes. She said, the good news is he works out of state two weeks of every month. And when he's gone, the house is mine, and it's clean, and it's pristine. And then when he gets home, sometimes, and I hate to admit this, I start counting the days till he's going to leave, and I can have my clean house back again. 
So I thought about it for a moment, and I said to her, Stephanie, do you have a dog? And she said, yes. Um, Does your dog shed? Yes. What do you do when your dog sheds? Oh, I vacuum up after him. Stephanie, do you love your dog? And she got really quiet, and then she said, Oh, Garth sheds. (laughs) And in that moment, she saw that just like the dog can't help its nature to shed, neither can Garth. It's just who he is. So I called her while I was writing the book, and I said, Stephanie, how are things going with Garth? And she said, amazingly great. She said, in fact, he quit his job. He now has a new stay-at-home business, so we can be together Mm 24-7. And yes, he's still a slob, (laughs) but now I just don't care as much. We're very, very happy. So that's what's possible. Now, Garth didn't change, but what she did was go from annoyed to enjoyed. She had a new reframe of an old problem. Well, you know, it's such a great example. What you said at the very beginning of the show, Ariel, was we are not talking about situations where the other's behavior, be it an addiction, be it acting out, be it putting you or your children in some sort of dangerous situation. We're not talking about thinking there's a simple solution to that. We're both underscoring the importance of professional help. But for the smaller things, the messy things or the her shopping stuff, if it's not putting the family in debt, for his cooking and ruining every pot when he does that. I think, Ariel, you're suggesting we can't sweat the small stuff because we'll miss the marriage in the shuffle. Exactly, exactly. Because really, what's most important? We now understand we're not perfect, they're not going to be perfect. And what we need to do is really about taking personal responsibility for our own happiness, right? You know, is if, if you know they're not going to change and it's not the biggest deal in the world, do something about it. For instance, in our relationship, I'm the slob. <laughs> okay. Brian's the neat one. And when we first got together, you know, he would constantly walk into the kitchen and say to me, why is that coffee cup in the sink? How hard is it just to move it to the dishwasher? Oh, boy. Right? And here I'd been living alone for 44 years, and I knew it would get to the dishwasher someday, but what's the big deal, right? It's one coffee cup. Or he'd, he'd say to me, why are there crumbs around the toaster? And I was like, what crumbs? And so this went on for a long time, and then one morning he walked into the kitchen, and my first reaction was, oh, no, what did I do now? Mm. And he said to me, I got up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, and I saw your coffee cup in the sink, and I saw the crumbs around the toaster, and my heart just filled with love for you. And I'm like, what? What are you talking (laughs) about? And he said, I realized that the coffee cup in the sink and the crumbs around the toaster bother me, not you, that you actually have a blind spot when it comes to these things. So I just want, I just want you to know that I'm now committed to cleaning up after you. Mm. I'm the one that it bothers. Yeah, great. 
I think that fits. It's a great story. Um, it fits right in with if the problem is not being solved, even though you've mentioned it many times, there's a good chance the partner doesn't see it as a problem. I mean, That's it just... It, it, that is it exactly. That is it exactly. You know, um, on the break, we were talking about the toothpaste issue. Here's yeah. the perfect example of that. I love this story. Go okay, ahead. Okay, <laughs> so when it comes to toothpaste, I am a bottom of the tube squeezer, and then I gently, neatly roll it up as it gets used up. And this, of course, is the correct way to handle a tube of toothpaste, right? Allegedly, because I'm with him, but keep going. (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm married to a guy who's a mangled from the middle squeezer. That's me. Okay. Okay, which I still to this day think is not quite right, but that's (laughs) not the end of the story. (laughs) Okay. So I would, you know, look at this mangled tube of toothpaste, and I would have nasty negative feelings about my husband. And I would often try to say to him, here, let me show you the right way to do this. And he would look at me like I was crazy, and that never worked. And, and then I started thinking about, well, what's the wabi-sabi solution to this toothpaste issue? Because it really does bother me, and I know that it's, toxic to have judgmental thoughts about your mate, even about something as silly as a tube of toothpaste, and I really wanted to figure out the solution to it. So at one point I thought, well, maybe the solution is having two tubes of toothpaste, his and hers, but then I realized I would still see his, and I would still be in judgment of it. So I put the tube of toothpaste in the palm of my hand, and I began to talk to it, and I said, what's good about you? And I didn't get an answer. And I just kept looking at it saying, there's got to be something good about you, you mangled tube of toothpaste. And after a while, it dawned on me. And I had this aha moment, which was, oh my God, I married a man who brushes his teeth. (laughs) And I was delighted because this mangled tube of toothpaste now means that there's a good chance that when we grow old together, he will still have his teeth. <laughs> See that? Well, that for all the toothpaste issue people out there, there's so many of us. I love this story. It's a great story. And, you know, we could expand it to towels on the floor. You're with a partner who showers. Right. Uh, they're and clean. <laughs> pots they're totally on the stove. Clean. You're with a partner who cooks. I mean, it's a wonderful reframing of what, see, the problem is these things really do bother us. I mean, they, they really do. Your friend um, who really was a neat person, it was hard for her. But at some point, if we don't put them into perspective, we start to build a resentment. Then even the good times are underscored with an agenda of you're purposely not squeezing the toothpaste, you're purposely leaving the cup in the sink, and that becomes a ro- begins to erode a relationship. Right, and the thing you have to remember is that your mate did not wake up this morning thinking, mm, how can I drive Suzanne crazy today? What could I intentionally do to make her miserable? Right. Our mates are not waking up like that, yet we live as if what they're doing is intentional, and it's not. Now, this, it's such a great point, and this brings in, we mentioned it a little bit, the male-female thing, and that is, often it's great for men to know. I mean, women, we're often accused of we don't let it go, and I work 
on this myself and with many women in terms of, you know, how, how, how many times are we going to talk about it? It's hard for women to let it go. But when men just are patient with it, sometimes it's easier for the woman to let it go. It's, it's the same kind of theme of the person's not doing it to upset you. They're really doing it because it's one of their things. And it's the way you let, as you said, your soulmate's not your answer, but as you say it, your companion on the journey. Yeah, and, and maybe the thing to do is have some fun with it. You know, come up with a code name. Like, there was a time early in our relationship where I found myself pointing my finger at Brian and lecturing him about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I caught myself and I said to him, uh, I can't believe I'm behaving like this. I'm really sorry. Unfortunately, it's probably going to happen again. So the next time when I'm in this mode, could you gently, kindly say to me, oh, when did Sheila enter the room? Now, Sheila is my mother's name, and I love my mother, but she can be very bossy and overbearing, as can I. And Brian totally got it, and he said, yes, and the next time I'm too patronizing, you can say to me, when did Wayne arrive? That was his dad's name. Great. Yeah, so we came up with these wabi-sabi code names to stop what could potentially become World War III. And just the... yeah, it still the, happens. Sometimes he'll say, oh, I see Sheila's arrived, you know, and then we both start laughing. Because it became a we thing, you know. Yeah. It wasn't one against the other, but really a we thing. Um, I think uh, one of the things, we only have a few minutes, that that you say that's really sprinkled throughout the book that is really so lovely is that whether it's intimacy or whether it's, getting someone a cup of coffee or letting something go. Small is really big in a good marriage. Yes, and it's so easy. You know, the next time you're at the card store, you know, take a moment and buy several I love you just because cards. You know, and then occasionally hide them somewhere for your partner to find. You know, if you know they're really stressed, especially if your husband's really stressed out about something, you know, just say to him, you know, listen, I see you're really stressed about something, and, I, and I'd love to support you here. Here's the remote control. Go sit in your favorite chair and turn on the football game. You know, let me go do ABC for you, and you go just watch a game. Now, why do you want to do this? Because when men are stressed out, they're losing their testosterone, and they can't deal with stress well. So the thing that you can do for him that will change everything is let him rebuild testosterone. And one of the fastest ways for a guy to do that is either to watch sports, participate in sports, or chop wood. (laughs) Okay, well, listen, all along this has been a wonderful show with you, Arielle. Um, And I think you, you sort of model today what you're suggesting, and that is you giving is key to loving. And I think that's exactly what you're suggesting in your book and in what you did today on our show. I want to thank you um, for all that you've contributed to so many people. I want to remind our listeners to download the chapters of Ariel's new book at soulmatesecret.com. And I want to thank listeners and remind you we'll be back next week when we'll be talking to Dr. Joel Evans, who'll be talking about the importance of self-branding in your personal and professional success. You can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast 
on my host site as well as on your iPhone and on iTunes under Psych Up Live. Remember, we'll be listening next week to some interesting material, but special thanks again to you, Arielle Ford, and the best of luck with your new book, Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, A Practical Guide to Happily Ever After. Take care, folks. Be back next week. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 